All right. Hey, before uh, all our campuses are joined together right now, before we get into what I want to teach about, um, last Sunday evening, uh, after this weekend was, I don't watch the news, but last Sunday evening, I found about the shooting uh, down in Colorado Springs. And I was asked, well, why didn't you mention it? It's like, I didn't know. I hate the news. Amen. Uh, so, uh, but uh, I, I don't want to move on until we just stop and just remember that community. Can we, do, can we just do that? Just pray together. All right. So, so God, um, we're singing all songs about the goodness of God and the, how thankful we are and that you'll, you'll go through everything with us. But God, sometimes when tragedy hits our lives, um, you feel like you're a long way off. And we look up like, are you there and do you care? And the answer is, yeah, you care, you love. And so God, our hearts just go out to the, the, the Colorado Springs community. Uh, all the families have been affected by this, this, this tragedy. It's a tragedy. The, the murder of, of, of image-bearing men and women, that breaks your heart. And so I don't, I don't know what we can do except just ask ask that you just be in that community, that you start healing that community, that you, that you, uh, that maybe there's some people there that are very far from you that you will use, like we've been studying, you'll use the worst of circumstances to say, I'm right here and I'm available and I can walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of us that are listening to my voice right now, you've walked us through it and we know that's true. So we just pray for that community that you would, you would heal, heal them, the anger, the hatred, the, the bitterness, the sadness. It's all part of it. And only you can heal that. God, we're moving into the holiday season right now. And for a lot of us, we're really excited about it. We just ate a lot of food. It had a lot of family in town. But for some of us, um, this is going to be a hard season because maybe this is our first season without someone or something. And, and we don't know how we're going to do it. And so, God, I'm going to ask you to do, even in this season, what only you can do is that you'll bring, you'll bring peace and you'll bring hope and you'll bring life and you'll bring light. Uh, into what right now just feels kind of overwhelming and heavy. And only you can do that. But you're good and you love us. And that's why you brought us here today because you have a heart uh, to see every man and woman on this planet look you in the face and say, I love you. And realize how much they are loved. So teach us about your son Jesus today. It's in his wonderful name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, uh, let's get, let's just, today we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up a four-month journey I started back in August, uh, studying through a small book of the Bible, First Peter. Uh, it's a letter that a guy named Peter wrote to some Christians about 2,000 years ago, scattered throughout some little cities in a part of the world that we now call Turkey. And if we were honest, uh, before these last three or four months, most of us had never read First Peter, all right? Most of them spent a lot of time there or paid attention to this little five-chapter book tucked in the back of, of the Bible. But, but if you haven't been here or you're in town visiting family or something like that, <laughs> you picked a good day. Uh, but but, but here's, here's how this started back in August. If we wanna be the kind of people who know God, the kind of people who can hear from God, who know what God's plan is for our life, that's what everybody wants to know. What's his plan for my life? Then we agreed back in August, we have to get to know God. We gotta spend time with God, all right? And, and the way you spend time getting to know God is by finding out what God has said is true about, about who God is, about what, what God has promised, about the kind of things that God does, the things that God cares about, to, to learn what God says about, about, about you and about me. And, and we're gonna lean into this, what God says about his church. And the one we're sitting in right now is called Flatirons. What's God have to say about all this? And in order for that to happen, we have to know God's 
word. And in order to know God's word, we have to read God's word. And in order to read God's word, we have to have a copy of God's word. And if you remember back in August on week one of this whole first Peter series, when I said, we all need to get a copy of the Bible, we shut down Amazon. Remember that? Like they sold out of that, that kind of Bible. I said, this is what I'm going to use. And then we sold out of that. And then, and then they jacked up the price because it's Amazon. And anyway, um, and then we, we, we flew an intern to Chicago and he bought out the publisher there and we drove hundreds of copies back. And, and, and to be honest with you, I'm going to tell you what, one of my favorite parts of the last four months isn't so much about what has been taught, although I've loved that. Here's my favorite part. watching so many of you bring your Bibles to church. I love, I love that. All right. And you say, well, that's a weird thing to love. I love it. I love hearing the pages, you know, if you're going, where is that? You know, right, right. And I, I love, I, here's what I, I love watching you underline stuff and write in the margins of God's word. He's okay with it. All right. Um, I, I love, I love after church and you're going to experience this getting stuck in traffic. <laughs> Wait, but, but I love watching moms and dads walk back to their cars and trucks, carrying a 20 pound Bible, right. And with a string of little ducklings behind him, watching them, watching them filing it away. And here's what those little kids are thinking, right? My mom and dad love the Bible. And you know what that's called? That's a win. That's, that's called discipleship. You never thought of it like that, but dad, mom, whatever, aunt, grandma, whoever you are, when you're walking down the street carrying that Bible, that's going in that little computer going, that's an important thing. You're discipling your kids. And so, so for four months, we slowed way down and we dug in really deep, word by word, verse by verse, unpacking the theme of this book of the Bible, which is hope. If you, have to, if you have a Bible with you, just write hope right there, the first page of that, of that book. We unpacked what, what to do and how, how to live when it feels like you're living in a world that's not your home. Like we feel like aliens here sometimes. Our faith doesn't fit in this world, in this culture around us, right? We're, we're, we're exiles is what the, the word Peter used. We, we took a, a, a tough look at suffering. I don't care how much you love Jesus, you're going to suffer, but, but we can have hope in Jesus, our living hope. We can have this hope. He'll go through the hardest times with us, and he'll even use those hard times to bring us closer to himself. He will not leave us, right? And he'll use everything that happens to us from a, a really bad day to a really bad season, a hard life, a hard marriage, a hard addiction, a devastating loss. I didn't think I could survive it. He'll walk through that with it, and he'll show you how big and how, 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 how sufficient his grace can be. And some of us have experienced that. We took a big, deep dive at looking at parenting and, and, and marriage. Remember those couple weeks? And we weren't asking questions like, who's the boss? Who's in charge? No, this is, this is the kind of the crux of marriage. How can I help you? How can I serve you so that you can experience all that God has in mind for you? When we're doing that to one another, that's, that's a good thing. We looked at what, what's going on in here at all of our campuses when we gather together week after week. This is what Peter says. He says that we are God's chosen race. What race are you? God's chosen, right? We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We are living stones, and God is building a temple out of us to do something in this place, right? He wants to bring his son Jesus to the world, and we're all doing that with him. We're partnering with God and with one another to see it happens. That's what you're sitting in right now. And last week, we, we moved towards closing out this letter. Peter reminds us, we have to change how we look at stuff, how we think about things. And then we have to change how we live, what we do, so that it lines up with what we claim to be, we believe to be true about Jesus. And in light of this, and we hit this really hard, all right, in the reality that at any moment, Jesus will return to judge what is wrong and make all things new the way they were meant to be before sin messed everything up. We live our life in light of that. He could come back at any time. And so I left you with some homework last week, right? To simply pray about, about two things, all right? First, in light of what Jesus has already done for you, and you can make a list of that. He's held me together. He's taken my sins away. He's given me strength to make it through. He's given me grace. The long, 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 this way. In light of what Jesus has already done for you, 
in light of what Jesus cares about, what he wants done through his people uh, in, in a really lost and broken world, the first question is this. Remember this? Am I, spending my, am I spending my limited amount of time on the right things, on, on the important things, the things that need to be done now, not someday, today, or am I distracted by the busyness of life? Am I spending all my time putting out all the fires that spring up every day that rob all my time? Are, are, are there some things that you know you need to do, some conversations that you need to have, some things that you need to start doing and some things you need to stop doing, but you're not doing them because you don't know what to do? Or you're worried that it might not turn out the right way, so you're doing nothing, and time's ticking. The second question is this, as we move into the Christmas season of spending a whole lot of money on presents and parties and travel, which we're all gonna do, I'm gonna do it too, all right? But we, are we prioritizing the things that God cares about? Particularly the more, that more and more people come to put their faith in his son Jesus, so that when Jesus returns and the window of opportunity closes, before that happens, more people, including people that you and I both love, people in our families, friends that we've lost contact with, right? People here in Colorado, people around the world. Are, are we prioritizing them so that Jesus can rescue and save them? So here, here's, the, here's the reality, all right? Uh, whether you're a Christian or not, right? Um, yeah, you, all week long, all year long, all your, every day of her life, you will ask yourself those two questions. First, what am I gonna spend my limited amount of time and attention on? I can't do everything, so what am I gonna do with this 24 hours, right? We all have to ask ourselves that, right? Second is this, what am I gonna spend my limited amount of money on? Some of you going, oh, it's limited, right? I, I get it, right? I got this much money, all right? I can't buy everything, so what am I gonna spend my money on? Or let me say it a better way, I'm gonna use my money so that certain things happen. So how about this? What am I going to invest and leverage my money towards? I don't have much, so what am I, what am I appointed, all right? And here's how you will answer both of those questions, right? If you're taking notes, here they are, right? I will spend my time and my money on the things that I think are the most important to me. That's just true. I, mean, I don't care if you believe in God. I do care. But I mean, it's a real, all right? I, I will spend my time and I'll spend my money on the stuff that's really important to me. And the things that are the most important to you are the things that you love the most, right? So just logic, right? So your calendar and your bank statement are the biggest revealer of what you love the most, right? And if that makes you mad, email Jesus because he's the one who said it, all right? So it's very, very famous. You don't have to look at the screen for this one. He said this, he said, for where your treasure is, let's just say it together, one, two, three, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And just to be clear here, when Jesus says treasure, he's not talking about your kids. Oh, they're my treasure. No, they're not, right? He's talking about your money. Right? Later, he drives it home by saying his biggest competition for who and what you're trusting in to take care of you, that's the definition of faith. So, so Jesus' biggest competition for your faith isn't Satan. It's money. Who's going to take care of me? He says it this way. This is Jesus, all right, in the same talk. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he or she will hate the one and love the other, or they'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he just lands the plane. You cannot serve God and money. And if you're thinking, I don't serve money. Really? Let me, let me ask you this, all right? As you're looking, let me talk to the younger half. No, I'm not going to talk to the younger half. Even the retirement community. Listen to this, okay, right? So as you're looking and planning for your future, do you spend more time thinking about and making a plan and worrying about how you're going to make more money? Or do you spend more time thinking about and making a plan and worrying about how you can grow in your faith, rearrange your, 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 your finances so you can give more money away towards the thing God's care about? Because, right? Because, listen, for me, and I'm not throwing stones, nine times out of 10, I'm thinking about money. What, what, I need more money, I need more money, I need more money, I need more money, right? That gets all my time and attention. 
Now, time out. I, some of you, I can already look at you, all right? You're having imaginary conversations with me in your head. I know some of you looked at each other and rolled your eyes, all right? And I know what you're thinking. Why did we come to church today? Why did we come here? Right? He's talking about money, right? Some of you are going like, I brought my friend to church for the first time. They're going to hate this. I hate it when church talks about money. So here's what I want to say to you and to your friend. Welcome, right? So here, right? You should hate it if a church never talks about money. Here's what I mean. Because if it didn't talk about money, it means you're sitting in a church full of greedy people who live their lives under the motto of my stuff for me and nobody, including God, gets to mess with my money. This is not that church. And you're sitting in a church also that never talks about money. You're sitting in a church that doesn't care about making a difference in the world by taking the awesome life of Jesus to people living in a lost and broken world because that costs money and they don't get it. So they're on their own. We're, we're not that church. See, see, newsflash, some of you are new to church world, right? This church, no church, right, runs on Jesus' fairy dust. Oh, he just sprinkles it, right? And, and you know, it doesn't work that way. I never thought about it that way. See, this is how the church that Jesus set up runs, all right? This church runs on Holy Spirit-filled, fully devoted followers of Jesus who are convicted and convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and anyone who puts their faith in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. And we believe that so much that we rearrange our calendars and our bank accounts to make sure that more and more people get an opportunity to receive what we receive by grace through faith in Jesus, forgiveness and removal of condemnation and eternal life with Jesus, our Savior, King, and Lord. That's us. My question is, is that you? So I'm going, I don't know. Where are you going with this? All right, right, right. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this, all right? Does that describe you? Because for the record, all right, you're, 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 you're sitting in a building or you're watching online and it was all paid for by spirit-filled, fully devoted followers of Jesus so that someone who doesn't know Jesus could hear that Jesus loves them. He doesn't hate them. He wants to give them life and hope and joy and peace. It's all available to him if he, they would just get to know him better. There's a lot of churches that have a really bad version of Jesus. We want nothing to do with that Jesus. Jesus is good, and he's loving, and he's kind, and he's forgiving, and I want to leverage everything I have so everybody in the world has a chance to meet him. See, Jesus pays for our sin, but his followers... His people who have been saved by grace through faith make sure that that grace message is delivered to those who don't know it yet. His people pay the utility bills. Oh, you have to pay bills at, at, at church? Yes. His people turn the lights on. They pay the staff. They fund the ministries. His people send out. these. You people send out missionaries to the slums of Mexico City. It's happening right now. University campuses in Scotland and the Netherlands and Spain. Uh, you build schools and hospitals in Uganda and South Sudan and Afghanistan. You do that. God does it through you. Jesus gets all the credit because any money that we have, we have it because Jesus gave us the ability and the opportunity to go make it. We just live our lives with the understanding that we, what we have, we have for a reason. So we prioritize Jesus with our money and willingly, not under obligation. We're going to talk about that. We give it back to him, not because there's some 10% tithe rule in the Bible that says that we have to, but because we absolutely love Jesus and we want what Jesus wants and he wants more people to be saved and Jesus does a saving. I'm just going to invest all my money that I can in Jesus because he's the master I choose to serve. Now that's the introduction for today and only like 17 people left. So that's good. All right. So. They probably weren't giving anyway. Anyway, so, all right, so, I'm just kidding. Shut up. I had to break the tension in here. Some of you are going like, ah, I'm nervous. All right, so, here we go. First Peter chapter five. We're going to wrap this up, all right? So, it's Peter writing. So, go and find in your Bibles. Get a pencil out, all right? And if you don't own a Bible, we have free Bibles in the back of all of our auditoriums. Please take those with you uh, at, when you go, okay? So, 
Peter says, okay, so I exhort the elders among you. I'll talk about that. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So I'm gonna stop right there. Peter writes, I wanna exhort the elders among you. And the word exhort, we don't use that a lot today, right? But it's, 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 it's more than, hey, can I talk to you? Or, hey, I haven't asked, or I wanna encourage you to something. Exhort carries more weight, like more urgency. It's like Peter's going, hey, I wanna wrap this letter up and go, hey, I need to get some of you to pay attention to something really important, because if you don't pay attention to this and adjust some things in your life, it all falls apart right here. So this is it. So, so, so lean in, all right? There, there's something that needs to be done. And Peter is talking to the elders among you. Now, sidebar here. In, in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, that's the Jesus parts to, to, to the end, all right? The word elder is used in two different ways. The most common reference is a, as a position or an office of an elder in the church. Example, at Flatirons, we have a team of elders. It goes somewhere between five and seven, seven guys, all right? So, and and they are, they're not just my overseers. Like they are my, they, they're my bosses, all right? But they are the ones that guard the theology, the doctrine, the, the teaching, and the mission of Flatirons. They're always calling me and, and everything that happens at Flatirons back to alignment with script, scriptural truth and example. Jim, is that, is, is that aligned with God's word? Is that what God's word is, is, is saying? The, the elder team, m- minus me, all right, also review my performance three times a year. They set my compensation. I don't touch finances. I don't sign checks. I, they don't even allow me in Michael's office, all right? I mean, I don't get anywhere near the money. I don't make up my own salary. I have nothing to do with that. To be an elder at Flatirons, you have to have demonstrated a history of following Jesus for a while, uh, of being a servant leader in his church and in the community. You have to know God's word. You must model Christ in your marriage, your family, your lifestyle, your career, your speech and your finances. All of our elders at Flatirons, they tithe no less than 10% of their gross incomes back to Flatirons. They didn't start doing that in order to become an elder. They've been doing that for a long time because they were bought into what Jesus is doing through Flatirons and serve Jesus with their money before you're serving Jesus uh, and his church through servant leadership. And for the record, the elder team is not you know, a, a boys club of Jim's yes men. I've been to that church. This is not that, all right? If you remember two, two and a half years, the elder team put me in timeout. Right, yelling and screaming on a six-month sabbatical. I'm like, no, I hate you, right? right? And, and then they walked me back towards healthy leadership. And if you've been around church world very long, no pa- very few pastors ever come back from that kind of sabbatical. It's just a slow firing. I came back. I could not have done it without their oversight, their discipline, their correction, and their unconditional love. We have great elders here at Flatirons, and most of you don't even know who they are, because unlike some churches that I'm not going to mention, they don't have their pictures hanging in the lobby so you know who to complain to. I have been to that church. They're just quietly running in the background, praying for you, serving you, leading, protecting me, and protecting this church. That's our elders. So that's one way elders use in the New Testament, but that's not what Peter's talking about. I just wanted to tell you about our elders. All right, so anyway, give it up for give it up for those guys, all right? Here's Peter when, when Peter talks about elders, right? He's simply referring to the men and women in, in the church, all right, who have been following Jesus, ready? For a while. For a while. So it doesn't mean elder like elderly, all right, but elder as in you have some longevity. You got some miles under your wheels of, of, of following Jesus, regardless of your physical age. You might be in your 20s, but you've been following Jesus for 10 years. You might be in your 50s, you've been following five minutes, okay? I'm just saying, hey, you've been following Jesus for a while. So what Peter is saying is this, hey, I need to lean into and call out the men and women in this church who have been following Jesus for a while, a few years, a few decades. And he goes on and describes these men and women. If you look at it again, he says that they, they're witnesses. They know. You can testify about Jesus. You know what he did for you. 
what he accomplished on, on that cross for you. You know that. You can tell anybody in your life, the reason I'm a follower of Jesus is because what he did for me and now he lives in me. You can testify about that. And he goes on, he reminds them this. And you know what? You're saved. You're good. You know, you know, if you physically die or if and when Jesus should return before you physically die, you know, you know where you're going. You have the promise of eternal glory. So because of that, Peter is saying, the church needs you to step up. Leaders, you elders, you people who've been following Jesus for a while, I, Peter's saying, it's time for you to step into leadership, more leadership of your church. He goes on and he says this, here's what I want you to do. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And the flock of God uh, that is among you, that is a reference because it's among you. That's a reference to the local church. So you could actually say, if he's writing this letter to, to, to us, he'd go like, hey, I need you to shepherd flat irons, the local church that you're a part of. And if you're visiting, he's talking about your church. Okay? And they knew exactly what Peter meant when he said, said, shepherd the flock of God, because probably everybody that read that letter the first time owned or knew somebody who did own sheep because they were everywhere, right? He said, and here's what I know about, I did a study for you. This is what I do, all right? This is what I know about shepherds. A shepherd is a leader, right? It's been any time, right? A shepherd is a, shepherds lead, they go first. One of my mantras as a leader is leaders go first. If you ask any of my staff, leaders go, they'll go first. You don't, you don't stand behind the sheep and push them. They'll, they'll scatter, right? You get in front of them, go follow me. And they follow a, a trusted leader. He leads me beside still water, right? A shepherd makes sure that, that, that the sheep have what they need to prosper, right? A shepherd does what he or she has to do to remove anything or anyone that might hurt or interfere with that sheep, having all that God wants that sheep to have, often at their own expense. It's going to cost me to protect that sheep. It's going to cost me a sacrifice to protect this flock. Yeah, I know, right? A good shepherd lays down his life for a flock. So Jesus said, Peter is telling those people who have been, so I'm, I'm going to lean into to anybody who's listening. Listen, if you're not a Christian and you got drug in here because you lost a bat, <laughs> Take, take it easy, okay? Like, he's not even talking to me. He's talking to you, all right? So, all right, that's good, all right? But I, I want you to know, I want you to understand what's been done so you could be here. And that goes back generation, 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 all right? I want to talk to people who have been Christians for a while, okay? And Peter is saying, it's time to get off the bench. It's time to provide and protect and lead his church to get in the game. He goes on, and here's what I want you to do. This is how you're going to do it. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. And exercising oversight translates taking care of the things that need to be taken care of, doing the things that need to be done, paying for and providing for the things that are needed for the flock, not under compulsion, willingly, voluntarily, not like, ugh, do we have to do that? What's the least I can do? But, but more like this, where do you need me? Put me in, coach. But this is what you do with your family. This is what you're asking about, like, what, what needs to be done? What needs to happen here, all right? I can't do everything, so what can I do to make sure my family, my flock, prospers, right? He goes on, he says this. Look at the Bible. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, right? Not for what you get out of it. Again, I'm just talking to mature Christians here, right? But eagerly, cheerfully, at a generous amount. He goes on, not domineering over those in your charge, but being... Ex this is important, being examples to the flock. See, is, I, I've grown up in church. Like my mom was the organist. My dad was a, was a, was a preacher and, and they did everything. I, 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 my mom, was, I, was, I was in my, my, on the organ, but I'm in there, right? I've been in church a lot, right? So here's what I've experienced in church world. And Peter's, this is what he's, he's addressing. Hey, he's not saying this. Hey, hey, you've been a Christian for a while. You ought to sit back. 
And let the next generation carry the load for a while. You have carried it long enough. You just take it easy and let those young folks take care of everything. And I love the young folks, all right? No, write this down. Christians don't retire, right, from Christianity, right? We don't, we don't, we don't do our time and then coast, right? We also don't show up every once in a while and, I hate this, and get fed. I just don't get fed there anymore. Well, never mind. All right, and... And then you move on with your week and then you come back and you get fed some more and then you just get fat. You have a lot of fat. I got to be careful because in this day and age, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, right? We have some unhealthy Christians who are gluttons, right? And uh, there has to come, I'm going to lean into you Christians, right? There has to come a time in a Christian's life when it's not all about you and what you get out of it. There has to come a time where you go start saying, what am I going to give to it? What am I going to pour into it? What is it? What God is doing through this church, my church. See, Peter is saying this. Hey, you've been a Christian for a while. That means you've been doing this longer than a lot of people. You have the most experience walking with God. You made some mistakes along the way, but you're still walking. You've wrestled through things in your marriage and you've seen what God can do more than that young couple has been, there, has been married five minutes. You're raising kids or you raise kids and you learned a few things along the way. Now come alongside a young mom or dad and ready for this? Show them. Get up next to them. Be an example to the flock. This is what it looks like to come back from addiction. This is what it looks like to come back from the edge of divorce. This is like what it's like to put a blended family together. This is what it's like to walk through cancer. Show an example. And look at this next verse, all right? I'm fired up about this. And when, and when the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears... You, you elders, you've been Christians a while, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, why would Jesus look at you who've been Christians a while, who are serving and giving and setting an example for the rest of the church? Why would he say, I want to give you something? I want to give you an unfading crown of glory. Why would he want to do it? Right? Are we just doing our duty? And, and the answer is, is this. He knows what you've done. You partnered with him. He does all the saving, okay? You partnered with him, with Jesus, and through him, and what you did with him and through Jesus, okay, this, this is what you do, all right? You're saving lives. You're saving marriages. You're saving kids from having to go through another heartbreak. You're, 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 you're helping chains of addiction, generational chains get broken. You've helped light shine into darkness. You, you've made it possible that hope is given to the hopeless because as elders, as men and women who have experienced the goodness and grace of Jesus, you said yes to Jesus and you served Jesus through serving his church. This is what you're doing even right now. He goes on and he talks to those who are newer in the faith. I'm not talking about like everybody under 20. I'm talking about people who you haven't been following Jesus. You're still trying to figure out. Here's what he says. Likewise, you who are younger in your faith, be subject to the elders. In other words, hey, hey, let me talk to the people who are just trying out this Jesus stuff, all right? All right? You're trying to figure out what, what following Jesus looks like. And here's what Peter says. Get, get up next to one of them. Get close to someone who's been following for a while and learn all that you can. Why? So that you can get involved in the flock. So that you don't have to stay young in your faith. You can actually become an elder. You can become a leader in the church that Jesus is building. He's waiting on you. He wants you to come lead this church. And then Peter says this, and Ben, ben kind of ties into what Ben taught a, a few weeks ago. He says this, and this is for all of us. Clothe yourselves, all of you, elders and young, right? All right? Everyone, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And let me say it another way, because I think Peter's way too nice. So if I had written this, I would have written it rougher, right? Um, everything Peter's just written, everything that he's just instructed the people of God's church to do, it will only happen if we're humble, not arrogant. And the reason that you won't do it 
You just don't want to. Yeah, I'm not into that. And that's called selfishness. I know what Jesus said to do. I just want something different. I'm not going to adjust my time, my attention. I certainly won't adjust my money because this isn't important. Okay. I'm not getting passive, a little passive aggressive. Uh, my, my wife says I am. Anyway, but anyway, so I'm not your Holy Spirit. So here's what I'm going to start praying for you, right? And listen carefully. I'm going to pray, first of all, God will change your heart from selfish to generous. And my other prayer is, if that doesn't happen, listen, all right? I pray that you will go find a church that you can partner with, that you trust more than you trust this place with your service and your time and your money and, and, uh, with the mission of God that they are pursuing. Now, I don't want anybody to, it's not really, to leave. There's a couple of you. There's the door. Um, so I, I, don't, I really don't want anybody to leave Flatirons. But my question is, why would you want to stay if you don't want to be a part of the mission? Right? Go find a place where you can join their mission and change the world through, through that church. Just don't sit in the stands anymore and consume. Find a place where you can serve and make a difference in the world. See, I, I talked last week about, I, I get these panic attacks, all right? And I've had a couple lately that left me asking the question, if it all ended today, if my life ended today, what would I want to look back on and know that I accomplished with my life as I did my best to serve Jesus? And here's where I landed. These are my four, I don't know, before I die, I want to check these off. Or at my funeral, if, it'll probably be right here. You're invited. But anyway, uh, but, but I want these four things to be said about me, all right? First of all, I want to protect my own relationship with Jesus and, and Robin, my wife. Top, top of the list. If I get either of those two wrong and I get everything else right, then nothing matters. That is my primary mission. Jesus and my wife, my marriage, right? Second, when I retire from Flatirons, which is a long time from now, right? I want to, somebody going, oh. Anyway, a long time from now, right? I, I, listen to this, all right? I want to leave behind a church community that knows how to handle God's word and is learning to submit to it. I want to leave behind a church that's known for loving one another so much the people who are outside are jealous of it and they want a piece of that. I want a piece of that love. They love everybody. They accept everybody. We, we do. We try. Third, the calling on my life. I was able to put this into language at a, at a workshop for our staff a, f- a few months ago. The calling in my life is to remind men, all people, but primarily men, that what God said is true and possible for them is still true and possible for them no matter what they've done or what's been done to them. I believe that. I just want men to believe that. And fourth, you, you don't, you're not going to believe this one. I really don't care if this church gets bigger in size. There was a day when I was cut off a body part. I just get more, 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 more. So I don't, I don't care if it gets bigger. I do want to leverage every minute of every day and every dime that God entrusts to us to see that more and more people who don't know Jesus bump into Jesus. They are saved and forgiven and begin a lifelong journey, becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. I want to do that to my funeral. And if you want to do that with me, with us, then this is your church. But without apology, elders, we, we need to go deeper, right? With our attention, with our time, with our money, deeper into God's word. Again, I'm especially talking to, to the elders, people who have claimed to, uh, to be followers of Jesus for a while yet, yet you don't have any skin in the game in terms of service or, 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 or financial. And we're about, listen, we're about to turn up the fire on running after more and more people who don't know Jesus all over the world, right? If you don't want to do that, you're going to hate it here. So please go find a church where you don't want to simply be a consumer or a spectator because th- this is not a game. Write this down. Heaven and hell are real, and everyone will spend eternity in one or the other, and Jesus is coming soon. Let's go.
My husband and I had steady jobs for the first time in our adult lives, so we decided to meet with a financial advisor to figure out where we were at. We knew our finances weren't great, but that financial advisor asked us to total up our debt to find out exactly where we were, and that number ended up being $102,000. worse than we were thinking. It was, it was bad. It was really bad. Yeah. The next step was to figure out how we were going to try to even attempt to pay that off. And uh, the first option was to sell our house and move out of state, to which I replied, we cannot do that. We have a blended family and it's just not an option for us. The only other option we have is to file for bankruptcy. I was angry cleaning and uh, moved our bookshelf and financial peace university fell out of the back. Um, we had gotten a free copy a few years prior, never opened it. And so I ripped it open and I am not much of a reader, but read through that book in two days. And I just looked at Jake and I was like, we have to do this. Uh, it was a lot of hard conversations at first of this is gonna be a season of no, because we have to really buckle down and try to pay off debt. So that looked like me picking up shifts at the restaurant. I picked up three shifts. So the two days that I have off and then I worked a double half at Flatirons on Wednesday day and then would go to the restaurant on Wednesday night. We also had like this little paper. It's like this thermometer that we kept marking off our debt. And so that was really helpful too to be like, okay, let's sit down and see where we're at. Prior to doing financial peace or looking at our financials at all, we were tithing 10% off my paycheck from the church, but not off of anything from the restaurant or anything from Jake's paycheck. But um, it just felt like this huge chunk that we could be using towards something else that never actually went towards anything else. Um, we, we rationalized it though. Yeah. We're a bigger than average family, so we could yeah, do we less. Or... I think in the back of our head, we were always like, we'll give the full 10% when we're in a better spot, but we need this money now to do other things. And that changed with kind of buckling down. We decided we were gonna tithe 5% of everything that we made uh, to see how that went. And we did that in December and January of last year. With us being obedient, God was being really faithful in his promise to like provide and take care of us. So uh, in February, I was like, I think we just need to try 10%. Um, we can always scale it back if it's really something that we can't do, but I just feel really like this is what we're supposed to be doing. So starting in February, we tithed 10% of every dollar that came into our house and we have not stopped. In December of 2021, when we kind of listed out our full amount of debt, we were $102,000 in consumer debt. And as of this month, November of 2022, so slightly less than a year later, we have 10,000 left. So we've paid off $92,000. I think another gear shift for me is just that I've realized and been taught that it's, it's all God's money. It's all God's stuff and we're just taking care of it. And 10% yeah. of that, give back is, that, that's just a drop in the hat, you know? Yeah. Hey, give it up, give it up for Jake and Ray. They're listening right now. Come on. That's amazing. See, here's what I know. Here's what I know, right? Is that as I talk about money and stuff like that, here's what I think the majority, I don't think you're selfish people. I think you're sitting there going, I we can't do that. I can't do that. I got this debt. I got this. I got this. And I got this. And I got this. I, I, I get it right? But here's what else you thought. How awesome would that be if that could happen in my life, right? And, and I know 
because about 13, 14 years ago, we started to raise money to build this building that I'm standing in right now. And I had to stand in front of the church and say, I'm your pastor. I'm $155,000 in college and consumer debt. And I don't tithe like a Christian, not alone a pastor. And I gave my word. If I don't get out of debt, then I'll resign because leaders go first. And I did it. It took me, it took me a year. It took me six. And uh, I ended up in Michael Caine's office, our CFO. And I threw out Nelnet loans and bank statements. And I put my daughter's last semester of college on Discover card, cash advance, 33% interest. Don't sigh. Every time they go, oh, it's like you're shocked. Yeah, yeah. But I got out of it. Um, if that's coming up in you right now, do not feel guilt and shame. But you have to change your mind if anything's going to change. And nobody can do that for you. And you have to take a step in a new direction. And it will be a baby step. Right? Um, but it's just going to be like this forever. Unless something changes. And listen, the only thing God says test me in is test me with your money. See if I don't show up. And he's faithful. And it's really tense, isn't it? <laughs> I'm going to leave you with a challenge, and it's a financial challenge, all right? And I, I do this every couple of years, all right? Here it is, all right? It's going to be on the screen, but here's what, again, I'm talking to everybody. For the month of December, right? Everybody who calls Flatirons, that's my church, and that includes you online, all right? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to put God to the test, all right? I'm going to ask you to give 1% more of your income than you are currently giving, 1% more of your income, all right? Percentage giving is more intentional than, I had 20 bucks, I threw it in a bucket. That's tipping, by the way, right? Um, uh, no, like intentional means I carve out 1% or, you know, some people 10% or some people more than that, right? Meaning this, if you're not very good at math, all right? So in, any money that comes to you in the month of December, you carve out 1% and you, and, and, and you give it either online or in the buckets. All right, so, so going, I'm not following you. Um, so if you make $100 in December, you give $1. Oh, I can do that, right? Now, let's, let's up, upscale it, right? If you make $100,000 a year, right? In December, you'll make $8,333. So in December, you'll give 1% more than what you plan to give, which would be an additional $83. You make $100,000 a year, $83 more in December. You'll be fine, right? See, Robin and I, we already give at least 10% of my gross income back to Flatirons every month. We do that, right? Because leaders go first. So on Thursday, I went online and I adjusted my monthly gift up. And it will it'll be automatically deducted from my bank account on December 22nd, every, every month. It's just part of the rhythm of our life. Now, now, now listen, all right? Some of you are going, can we get out of here? Listen, it's Christmas, all right? And here's what you're sitting and going, I, I'm trying to figure out how to afford presents, right? For people who are really hard to buy for, who won't even appreciate it. I get it, all right, right? But let me just remind you, I heard this on, I heard this on Ted Lasso, just to be honest with you. That's where I heard this, okay? Um, <laughs> come on, anybody, all right? Uh, it's not Santa's birthday. It's Jesus's birthday because it's all about Jesus. And sometimes we forget about, all right? And um, when I say Jesus, let's go back to how we started today. You know, the one who took your sins away. The one who lives with you and walks through the valley of the shadow of death with you. The one who puts your life back together. And he's not saying you owe me anything. Giving is just like, I love him. And I love what he loves. 
So let me say what I always say when I talk about giving at Flatirons, all right? If you start giving to what God is doing through Flatirons in December, at the end of December, you look back on your life and you haven't experienced greater trust and presence of Jesus in your life, here's all you have to do. You contact Michael Kane, our CFO here at the church, and we'll give whatever you gave in December, we'll give it back to you. I didn't feel God at all. So it's no lose, no risk experiment. By the way, no one's ever come and asked. Well, one lady asked, and then she died. But uh, <laughs> that's not true. Or is it? Anyway, um, again, the only thing, the only thing God ever says, test, test me on this, is, is with your money. See if I don't show up. Second, I, I don't talk about giving because Flatterns wants your money. I teach about giving because Jesus talked about money one out of every six times he opened his mouth. Read the Gospels, right? Because he knew that we would always try to put our hope in money, doing for us, hoping it will do for us what only we can get from him. He didn't want us to wake up one day and look back at a life of my stuff for me that can't take care of us when we need help the most. That stuff will not be able to take care of you. Let me call it one thing. thing. I wasn't going to put this in, and then I had a couple conversations, so I'm going to throw this in. I've heard this multiple times in the last few years and weeks. It goes like this. Okay, so, so, Pastor Jim, I'm not giving anything now, but I'm working on a deal, and I'm building a business, and I got this thing, and when it hits, then I'm going to give in a big way. Really? Is that how you run your house? Hey, kids, listen. Dad's working on a deal. And it's going to hit next year, and then we can eat food, right? right? No, <laughs> sleep indoors. No, no, we don't neglect the things, the important things, in hopes of a maybe thing. And when the maybe thing hits, then great, give out of that abundance. But for now, make it the regular prioritized rhythm of your life. I pay the mortgage. I, I, I buy food. I put gas in my truck. I point a percentage of my salary towards ministry. See, I know me. I'm not throwing something out. But you know you, and Jesus knows all of us. And there's only one thing that can guarantee that you're not a greedy person. And that's generosity. And generosity is the expression of thankfulness, how Peter started today. You know what Jesus did for you. And you know the promise of waiting for you. How then will you respond to what Jesus has done? The other reason I make no apology for challenging you to give more of your money that God has entrusted to you is because taking the saving message of Jesus is the most important thing a person could ever do with their life, their time, or their, or, their, or their money. People show up my door all the time and say, hey, I want you to give money to fight cancer. And they do it without apology because their life was impacted by someone losing their life to cancer and they hate cancer and they want it gone. I watched ads all week long asking me to financially support a candidate, fight global warming, eliminate carbon emissions and racism, save the wetlands because they believe if I were to get involved in their cause, the world would be a better place. And maybe they're right. So I want to leave you with this. This will definitely make the world a better place. Jesus said it. He said this to his church. He came to them and he said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So church, here's what I'm telling you to do. Get up out of this room. Go therefore and make disciples, followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then at the end of the age, Jesus will return and everybody will spend eternity with Jesus or without him. I just personally want to leverage all the parts of my life and I want to be a part of a church that leverages everything that it has to see as many people as possible be with Jesus. Do you? So the simplest way is to get online. If you go to our website, go to the very, very bottom of it and you can hit a button and it'll walk you all the way through that. Now, Here's where we started everything. You, you have to just make up your mind. Change your mind about what's important. Change your mind about what you, how you're gonna live your life. Nobody can do that for you. Jesus can't even do that for you. You have to make a choice going, this is what I want my life to be about. And in order to do that, I mean, gotta make some changes today. That's up to you. 
So everybody at all our campuses stand up. All right, I'm, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing one song, and then we're going to walk into the chaos called Christmas is coming. <laughs> Except maybe this year. We'll know that we took one step towards keeping the main thing the main thing. Let me just remind you. His name is Jesus. So God, um, uh, I, I used to apologize for standing in front of people and go, hey, it's, it, you, you need to point your money towards, towards Jesus. And now without apology, my life has changed because somebody did that for me. And, and somebody changed my dad's life because they, they prioritized Jesus in, in their life. And it goes on. And my kids follow Jesus because somebody prioritized Jesus in, in their life. And then I had a place to bring my kids. It just goes on and on and on. None of us are here unless somebody went first to provide a share for us, to provide a message for us, to provide a, an online for us. Somebody did that for us. And, and God, because of that, we're saved. We're forgiven. We have you living in our life and we have a guaranteed future. We have hope. We have peace. We still have a lot of crap going on in our life, but we don't have to do it by ourselves because you're right here with us. But there's so many, not just down in Colorado Springs, but all over the world going, this is it. I have no life. It's, it's, it's over. What am I going to do now? And the answer is Jesus. He'll put your life back together. He'll forgive your past. He'll remind you that what you've done or what's been done to you is not your defining moment. You are God. So we want everybody to know about Jesus without apology. It's in his name we pray. Amen.